Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Laker Side Chats. I am your host as always, Alan Ramich. Joining me today is a guy who I've watched for a very long time. It's one of the only two people who I've ever been sort of starstruck at. Um, Howard Beck was the first one. Um, I watched him first of all on NBA TV on the starters and now he has a, he's part of the No Dunks podcast on the Athletic Network. Mr. Lee Ellis, how are you doing, sir? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alan. Appreciate it. Oh, and you know, your like I said, your basketball opinion I, I value very highly. So having you on the show to just talk basketball in general and also a lot of Lakers talk as well, um, because I think it's the most intriguing series, um, in my opinion, in the playoffs left. Um, I'm very excited to get into all this with you. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I mean, you know, this year has been obviously a different year in terms of yes. uh, how the seasons has played out and, um, you know, the games have just been sort of slapped on top of each other and it's harder. It's been a little bit harder, I think, to get a feel for some teams and just what, whether or not their regular season form means anything in the playoffs. Um, you know, but uh, but here we are now and, um, you know, it's uh, it's exciting to have playoffs back in buildings with fans. I mean, you know, I, I know we've had a few uh, fan stupid fan incidents, mm-hmm. but overall it's great to be there. I was down here in Atlanta last week mm-hmm. for a playoff game and, the atmosphere was just electric, so uh, it's really good to have basketball back, and um, you know it's it's uh, it's fun, and it certainly feels like we're closer to what we uh, are normally used to when it comes to uh, NBA basketball. Yeah, and like you know, as much as the bubble was great because we didn't have any sports for so long, and then you have this product and it's there. Um, nothing beats having fans in the in the arena you know except like the few idiots that we have seen. It's mostly been positive. The fans have been you know engaged they've been good a lot of them been wearing masks and stuff still so it's you know it's a really good sign but like you said you know there will but there was always idiots anyway even yeah. pre-pandemic so you just got to deal you got to deal with the good and the bad unfortunately with all that yeah um, i just want to get your opinion on the playoffs as a whole so far because i don't know about you but i feel like there's been a lot of great games a lot of great storylines um a lot of really fun moments as well even you know like in series that I never expected, like the Utah-Memphis series, which I thought was going to be a sweep, to be honest with you. But then seeing Jar's explosion, I thought, you know, is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Donovan Mitchell coming back and looking really good from the high ankle sprain is, I didn't expect it. Trey Young against the whole New York um, audience is magnificent. Uh, yeah, I just want to get your take on that because I, I've really enjoyed, you know, even the non-Lakers stuff, I've really enjoyed everything so far with the playoffs. Yeah, we got off to a great start. That first weekend, uh, every first round uh, game one was incredible. It seemed like every yes. game came down to the wire or there was at least uh, some intrigue in it. Uh, since then, you know, and often happens, once a series gets, you know, three or four games in, often you start to see a few more trends and patterns and one team can sort of flex its muscles over another team. Um, but, you know, here we are and uh, we're, we're over a week in now. We're like, what, 10 days in, I guess. Mm-hmm. And we've only got one team that's uh, been eliminated and that's the Miami Heat. And they got swept by the Bucks, which was yes. an upset. I, I, I think a lot of us picked the Bucks to win that series. But from what we saw in the bubble, it was like a different time, uh, you know, where Jimmy Butler really turns it on. In that first game, he had a chance. It looked like once he got the overtime there, mm-hmm. he was going to sort of uh, show the, the Bucks again what it's all about in the playoffs. But Instead, Milwaukee turned it around and just destroyed uh, Miami in the uh, remaining three games. So that series is the only one that, uh, again, has has been completed already. I thought we were going to get the Wizards uh, swept out of last night's playoffs, but, of course, the Joel Embiid injury affected that game. 
And the Atlanta Hawks, I mean, they, uh, they're they 3-1 up in their series. Next game is, of course, in New York. But the way that they've really just uh, outshone the Knicks has been a bit of a surprise too. I mean, the Knicks were a great story this season. They were great fun. They're going to have Julius Randle, who's already won most improved, and he's likely to be an all-NBA forward as well. But the Hawks have been much better, and the Hawks earlier in this season were a complete mess. So they've yes. really turned things around. You know, then we've got the Nets. I mean, the Nets kind of uh, look like they took their foot off the gas a bit against Brooklyn, uh, against uh, Boston, excuse me, Friday night. But then they came back and uh, picked up a win. I think they closed out that series tonight. And then out in the West, you mentioned there the Jazz. I mean, that first game, no Donovan Mitchell. He's calling out his team, yes. calling out his front <laughs> office. Uh, and they lose to Ja Morant, who's just come off these huge two victories against the Spurs and the Warriors just to make the playoffs. Uh, but since then, the, the the Jazz have sort of gotten back on track. And, uh, and and again, I think they close out that series. Game five is back in uh, Utah. And they've just shown, you know, experience versus inexperience has really played a big yes. factor here. So, um, you know, there we are. And, of course, the Clippers and the Mavericks is the wildest series that no one <laughs> has won yet. You know, the Clippers deserved all the all the ridicule they suffered after those first two losses. They looked bad. They were they started fighting with each other. And, uh, you know, Coach Ty Lue said there's nothing to worry about. And he proved to be correct. You know, they go to Dallas, win both games. And now, you know, statistically, they are heavily favoured to win the series. Um, and I think they probably do win it from here, too. I picked the Clippers to win this series. Um, and what you saw in games three and four out there in Dallas were, were a much more of, of, a, of a style that the Clippers like to play. Mm -hmm. They pounded the uh, uh, Dallas Mavericks inside. You know, Luca, they slowed him down a little bit. He picked up an injury as well, so that factored into it. But ultimately, there's more talent on the Clippers, and they should win this series. They just got off to a dreadful start. And after what we saw last year in Orlando, you wondered if they had the uh, metal to get back into this series, but it shows that they have. So, you know, that's great. And then, of course, uh, the Nuggets and the Blazers series is another really good one set up. Uh, we've got Game 5 tonight in Denver. That's going to be a fascinating matchup. I mean, I talked about it on our show today. I think Damian Lillard, knowing what we know about him, he wants that opportunity to close out the series in in Portland, and and to do that, he has to win tonight. So I sort of think the Nuggets, uh, or the, excuse me, the Blazers, probably steal tonight's game, and and then give themselves a shot to close it out. They don't want to have to come back to Denver to try to win it, but it's a great series. And then of course the Lakers and the Suns. I mean, it looked after Game One. Well, I mean, after Game One, we knew about the Chris Paul injury, and the, and the Suns survived. But it just felt then that the Lakers were just going to walk away with that one in a in a five gamer. But of course, now, you know, in terms of the injuries, uh, it's evened up a little bit with Anthony yes. Davis picking up a groin injury, and his status is still uncertain for tonight. Though, I think they probably sit him down, uh, factoring in that they've got one more game in uh, LA at least. They've also got LeBron James. Uh, he knows how to win big playoff games, and tonight is a huge one. So I think if you're the Lakers, uh, you still feel pretty comfortable about this series. Even if they lose tonight, then maybe they rush Davis back for game six and then give themselves a chance to win game seven on the road, which, again, I think you would back LeBron James. So I think that one's uh, certainly uh, set up for a, a Lakers victory, though it may have to go seven games, which is something that the Lakers and LeBron certainly wouldn't want to do. But uh, they're going six no matter what. So we'll see what happens. No, definitely, and Nice roundup. And... Yeah, just let, I just want to follow up on the, the whole Laker-Phoenix thing. Um, after game three, I was adamant that it was going five games because the way the Lakers dominated Phoenix in the third quarter, I was like, this is the most reminiscent I've seen of the Lakers from the bubble pre all the injuries because we saw a little bit of it at the start of the year. Then obviously AD started to get hurt and then 
people started to get into the COVID protocol and then LeBron obviously sprained his ankle against the Atlanta Hawks and then obviously the Lakers fell down into the play playing game. Um, the one thing I will say about Phoenix that's really impressed me is their mental fortitude. And obviously that, that starts from Chris Paul, in my opinion, but also Monty Williams has got a huge hand in that as well. Um, I've been really impressed by them. You know, I, I, I don't know, like, I think other teams would have been more rattled after that um, third game in LA than the Phoenix Suns were. And they really impressed me with that performance with or without the AD injury. Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing about the Phoenix Suns is they they went from, you know, not making the playoffs for 11 seasons, I think it was, to then all of a sudden being the number two seed in the Western yes. Conference. And very few teams do that outside of a major change. Now, the Chris Paul trade was a major a trade for them, but he's also a 36-year-old now. So it's not like it was got they got a, you know, a young, you know, 25-year-old guy, in, a star player in his prime. It was more kind of like a swing for the fences and the Thunder were happy to move on from Chris Paul. But still, he did really bring that level of competitive, competitive and professionalism, professionalism up for the Phoenix Suns. And they went out there and credit to Monty Williams, the coach, did a fantastic job, DeAndre Ayton. Uh, in his third season here, he really took a long, uh, a lot of strides forward. And, of course, Devin Booker made it to the All-Star game as well. So he was great. And then they got some uh, contributions from Bridges, you know, Campaign, who they picked up. Uh, you know, phenomenal been, this year. Yeah, he's been really good for them. So they had a lot of guys contributing. But history and just experience tell, told me, certainly coming into that series, that it doesn't matter with LeBron. You know, LeBron, even though he's coming in off that uh, significant ankle injury, I think it was the, the longest he missed in his entire career because of that injury. Yeah. But we just know that, you know, he, he's he's been so good for so long to never doubt him in the playoffs. He's won on the road. He's had he's won plenty of times when he hasn't had home court advantage. And he also had a streak. I'm not sure exactly what it was but uh, or where it would end it, but it was like 28 series in a row. He won a road game, at least one road game. Um, and and I, I felt that he was going to get at least one of those in Phoenix in the first two, and he did. Uh, but then, it, and it looked like, yeah, it looked like the Lakers were going to pull away because Chris Paul clearly wasn't healthy. He has somehow <laughs> gotten himself back uh, in shape there for game four, and that shoulder looked much better. He was moving around, he was shooting, he was passing the ball. So um, the Suns have done well, and, and now the big the big test is, is again tonight. It's a pivotal game, as Magic Johnson uh, yes. likes to say, for game five because... <laughs> You know, ultimately, whoever wins this game, uh, again, the, the history tells us that you do go on to win the series from here more likely than not if you win it. And it's in Phoenix. The Suns know that if the Lakers smell blood in the water and they get that win and they have to go home and close it out in L.A., that's just going to be a huge mountain for the Suns to climb. But um, everything they've shown us this season is that, they'll, you know, tonight it should be competitive. It should be close. Uh, and it's really just going to be who can hold their uh, medal down the stretch. Now, Chris Paul... Any time a game is close, you want the ball in his hand, and that pretty much means that his team is going to be in a strong position to win. But when the other guy's LeBron James, uh, his team also does pretty well when he uh, when he needs yes. to win. So I, I just hope we have another competitive game, and I hope everyone can stay on the floor because it takes away so much. Like I just felt deflated for the Suns after Chris Paul picked up that injury in game one and early on too. I think it was in the second quarter. And, it's like, man, Chris Paul history is just like he always picks up some crazy injury in the playoffs, and he did it again there, um, you know, in game one. And, and then I thought, I just thought, well, all, for everything the Suns have done, they may only have 
one playoff win to show for it this season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but they scrapped and got that second one in game four on Sunday and credit to them for, for not, you know, just waving the white flag. They fought and they battled and they pulled it off. So I, uh, I hope they can continue it. I hope they can extend the series. Um, but, any, you know, anytime you're going up against the LeBron James-led team, it's just going to be so tough because you haven't got any room for error. You have to be uh, fantastic the entire game and you have to execute at the end. And, you know, the Suns have shown that. They certainly held on yes. in game in game four when it was like, a, I think it was an 18-point lead in the fourth quarter. Marcus Gasol started hitting threes. You know, Schroeder, yes. I think, hit one. And it's like... This is just what the Lakers do. They, you know, Marcus Ole, who kind of was out of the rotation there for a while, yeah, he was. comes back in, hits two huge threes, and you just could feel like momentum changing there. But then Chris Paul went in and hit that mid ranger. Jay Crowder hit a three. They got a stop at the other end. So it was like those are the critical plays for me. That like if they if Crowder misses that three, if Chris Paul rims out on his and LeBron gets downhill and, and can hit another another basket or find his teammate for an open shot, that's when the game can turn. But instead, it went in Phoenix's favour. So uh, great for the series, great for basketball, and now uh, we are really set up for a fascinating uh, best-of-three series. It's not great for my heart rate, though. I'll tell you that straight away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't imagine uh, it's good for your sleep patterns either out there in England. No, uh, you know, although I think Sunday's game was probably um, not too bad, was it? Like yeah, it was half eight. eight. It was half oh, eight. Uh, half eight. Time. Okay, yeah. Um, but I hate early games because we always the Lakers always play badly in early yeah, games. Yeah. So. I'd rather wake up at 3 a.m. to watch the game right, than, you know, right. watch it at half eight. Right, uh, right, right. Something, right. Al- something bad always happens. And obviously yeah, okay. we had the whole AD. Um, and to be honest with you, when it happened initially, I was a lot more worried that it was something incredibly serious because obviously he was playing with that left knee sprain. Um, it AD is... I don't know. he I, He's a very tough individual. From everything I've seen, he loves to play through injuries. He will do everything he can to win games. But we didn't see it so much in the first season because he played for everything, right? But obviously, the Achilles injury was really to his detriment. And now this groin strain, which is not super serious, but at the same time, like you mentioned off air, if he plays on it, then it could lead from a grade one groin strain tonight to like a potential tear which you know god forbid it doesn't happen to anyone um he's i think and i don't think he's the x factor but i also believe that if ad was healthy in game four i don't think the suns go on that run in the third quarter and i think the lakers probably do pull that game out as well um he's, he's so pivotal to the lakers success and i know that's it's very simple because yeah. he's a top six to seven player in the NBA. Like I have him in top in my top five, but you know he's a no doubt top six seven player in the NBA when he's fully healthy. Um, he's he, as much as I love LeBron James, and he's he's still the best player in the world in my opinion. AD is so important defensively more than anything to this team. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a, he's an all-NBA caliber player. He's yes. an all-defensive player. He's an all-first-team uh, center. He's an MVP yes. candidate. I think I actually picked Davis to win the MVP this so season. <laughs> um, but, you know, you look through his history and, and with the Pelicans there as well, he did often have groins and hamstrings, and yeah, like a lot of guys do. And when you saw what happened on Sunday, um, you know, 
I'm not a doctor, so I don't I don't claim to know exactly what's going on, but I do know just from from experience of watching any athlete out there, groins and hamstrings are sort of not the injuries that you can sort of do a little bit of a groin or a little bit of a no. hamstring. It's kind of like you either injure it or you don't. Now, it may not be as severe as like a complete pulled hamstring, but it's like it doesn't tend to sort of heal itself in a couple of days. It tends to take at least sort of two weeks to get back to full strength. Now, again, who knows the severity of it, um, but the fact that he left the game and you saw him walking in the tunnel there, he didn't look good at all. But maybe with a couple of days of ice and relaxation and rest, he's feeling better. But you just sort of feel that, uh, you know, if he was to play and he's not 100% cured or, 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 or uh, you know, given the all clear from that, then the risk of injuring it further simply magnifies. And I think you only have to look at someone like Kevin Durant, who, yes. you know, a couple of years ago in the finals, the Warriors clearly rushed him back from that Achilles injury and he popped his Achilles and he lost the season. And that is just, uh, that's just the risk that you should never take with your health in, in that sense. Now, again, Achilles is different to a groin, but the, the point is that, you know, if, if ever there's any doubt, I think you should sit out because you simply don't want to uh, risk losing Anthony Davis for four to six weeks, let's say, and then basically ruling him out of the playoffs. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what the Lakers do tonight. I know, obviously, Anthony Davis has missed a lot of time this year, ironically, with an Achilles injury as well. Yes. It cost him nine weeks. Um, and so, you know, it's potentially, I guess, linked to that injury. Maybe there's some compensation there. I don't know. But uh, the fact is that when he's on the floor, the Lakers, I think, are still the favourite probably to win the championship. If he's not on the floor, they've still got LeBron. They're still a very good team. But I'd probably then start dropping them back to sort of second or third behind, you know, the Brooklyn Nets and the Jazz, I think uh, I think those teams. And even the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks have been very they impressive were phenomenal. So They yeah. were phenomenal that first series. Yeah, but then the Bucks, of course, have got to get past the Nets. And I, and yes. I think I'd still take the Nets in that series. Again, let's assume everyone's healthy here because, uh, you know, I think that's the only way to fairly judge it. But... You know, we'll, we'll see what happens here with the Lakers and, and uh, Anthony Davis because uh, like it was with Chris Paul, it's pretty easy to tell if a guy is bothered by an injury. Chris Paul in two games could barely move. He could barely yeah. pass or shoot. And then he looked great. Excuse me. In game four, Anthony Davis, we'll see if he plays tonight, uh, how he's moving out there. And you'll be able to tell pretty easily if he's contesting shots, if he's rebounding, and then if he's making moves on the offensive end. Because remember, game one, Anthony Davis was – Missing horrible. in Phoenix. He was horrible. He, I don't I don't think I, I've seen him just sort of sleepwalk through a game to that degree uh that he did in game one. And I, I I mean I know LeBron sort of takes his foot off the gas. He has that feel out game in game one. But to see Anthony Davis kind of just be cruising along uh like that. I mean, DeAndre Ayton's been very good in this series, but Anthony Davis, as we said earlier, he's already established as a an elite NBA player. You know, whatever you want to put him, top five, top ten, whatever, it doesn't matter. He, we know he's a game-turning, uh, franchise-altering player. DeAndre Ayton is hoping to be that, and he's certainly proving uh, that he's on the right track, but he's certainly not there yet either. No, yeah, and, and like you said, I think there's a lot of the Lakers scheming, in my opinion, defensively as well, which has inflated Ayton's stats because from my vantage point, especially the first three games, it seemed like, they would, because there, there were points where he was just wide open under the key, and Frank Vogel's too smart a coach not to let that happen consistently without him sort of telling them if it happens, no big deal, right? Um, and I'm not taking anything away from Aiton because he's been absolutely phenomenal. Like 
you know, I think he's like you said, he's he's definitely been a game changer in this series. Mm. Um, whether he will be, you know, consistently over his NBA career, it's yet to be seen. He's still so young, um, but I think with the Lakers, especially the role player shooting, where you've had guys that have been shooting in excess of forty percent the entire year, just completely fallen off a cliff. And I'm looking at game one and game um, four, if the Lakers just had, you know competent three-point shooting we could be talking about a potential sweep in my opinion mm. like that, that that's where the series have gone because even though it felt like to me it felt like a 20-point loss it was only a nine-point loss in the end on game four in game four and game one it was the same score ironically um how what how do you feel about the lakers you know the likes well, obviously kcp didn't play in game four but yeah him alex caruso i think wes matthews was very good in game three um on both sides of the ball how do you feel about that whole situation? Well, I mean, it's like a lot of role players. I, I think, um, again, when you've had Davis and LeBron sort of in and out of the lineup and those guys have had to step up at times, and then, you've, you know, you've had Caruso out of the lineup yes. as well for coronavirus and things like that. So you're trying to establish um, any time with those sort of guys, like minutes and role and whether you're starting or coming off the bench and understanding things. And Kyle Kuzma at times this season has been really good. But then all of a sudden he comes out and, and, he, and he puts up a bit of a stinker and it's like, okay, does Frank Vogel stay with him here? Does he stick with him? Or does he try to, you know, put him on the bench and try someone else? But then again, KCP's out, so there's more minutes and more yes. shots to go around. So I think it's just tough when you're playing with um, superstar players because your role varies uh, often. Now, if you look at a team like the Utah Jazz, you know, they've got star players, but no, no one at the level of LeBron or an Anthony Davis. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, fantastic. Uh, Mike Conley, great veteran. You know, Rudy Gobert, he's been fantastic. But they just don't have the gravity of those other players. And if it's more a, a, a team that plays by committee. Mm -hmm. Everyone contributes every night. They play about nine players deep. And outside of Favors and Rudy Gobert, everyone defends a three-point line yes. and then they shoot threes at the other end. So everyone just kind of inter intertwines with each other and overlaps and understands their role. You know, Joe Ingles can run the point. Mike Conley can run the point. Donovan Mitchell can run the point. And when one of those other guys is, the other guys just sit in the corner and wait for three-pointers to come their way. Uh, when you are Kyle Kuzma and sometimes like, right, you're in the starting lineup and you're our power forward tonight. Okay, go out there and defend, let's say, Julius Randle one end mm -hmm. and then on the other end it's like now we need you to actually go out and you're going to get 20 shots tonight we need you to score it's just difficult to find that groove there's a lot more pressure and there's a lot more just uh you know just inconsistent role uh mm -hmm. role designation really so it's hard um you know i think again th those guys there's always been uh you know talk about kuzma has sort of been on the trade block because we know he's capable of being a good scorer and a good floor spreader but the Lakers kind of like to have him there ready as well. So uh, I, I think, you know, Caruso, I know LeBron talks highly of Alex Caruso. I personally think he's a little overrated myself, but if LeBron James is talking you up, then uh, who cares? If you're Alex Caruso, you've got to mm -hmm. go out there and enjoy it. But we know he's a good defender. He gets those opportunities on offense to shoot and to score, uh, and he tries to make the most of them. So it's just, I, I just think when you've got, you know, clear two, you know, legends of the game, two Hall of Famers, I think Anthony Davis is yes. certainly on his way to the Hall of Fame. Um, it's just, you, everyone sort of falls in behind. And, and, and you know, you, a lot of NBA players just talk about rhythm and talk about role. And someone like, again, going back to the Jazz, Jordan Clarkson, who formerly was a Laker, he went to Cleveland as well before he found this role in Utah, which is just perfect for him. Yes. Come off the bench, fire away. 
you know, and he does that. <laughs> he doesn't get a lot of assists. He doesn't do much else. But Jordan Clarkson, it's clear definition of what that role is. Uh, Quinn Snyder and the Jazz have said, you're our six man. Six mans go out there and score and shoot and go and do that. And he had a fantastic season. He's already won that six man of the year award. Um, so if you're someone like him, you can thrive in that role because you know what's expected of you every night. And the team, I mean, I don't think they even started him this year. I'd, I'd probably have to check that. But I even think they started not, him one game. In he LA. did, did he? Right. Yeah. But apart from that, it's like even if Ingles or or uh, Mike Conley's injured or Donovan Mitchell's injured, they I think actually Ingles is the guy who starts when one of those backcourt yes. players is out because Quinn Snyder basically doesn't want to mess with that. It's like, Jordan, this is your role. Go out there and do it. Uh, and, and it takes a lot of, um, you know, a, a, a big professional um to take on that role and understand you're coming off the bench and to thrive in it. Because we've seen guys like Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford and Manu Ginobili really play it, but we also know most NBA players just don't want to be a six-man. They want to start and they want to be on the court at the start. Uh, but if you do really embrace that role, you can have enormous success with it, and we're seeing that with Jordan Clarkson. And, you know, someone like Kyle Kuzma would probably benefit a lot if Frank Vogel said, right, you're our six-man, and when you come out, you can just fire away like that. But instead, his role's you know constantly sort of shifting and changing, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the other players who's playing and and, and the team they're playing and uh, things like that. No, I I agree with you on that. I think his role should be exclusively off the bench. Like I think when AD is injured, I think Markeith Morris should start. And right. Markeith Morris, I think, showed in his twenty-seven games as a starter this year that he fills in. Obviously, he's not Anthony Davis. No one is Anthony Davis. Yeah, but he's a very capable starter, and it's forgotten because of how deep the Lakers are, and he's like the eleventh guy in the rotation, unfortunately for Markeith Morris. Um, I, I'd start Markeith if. Um, AD isn't playing, like you said, I like Kuzma off the bench. I think he's a lot better off the bench than when his role's fluctuating. The biggest X factor for me for the Lakers tonight, um, and, I, and I don't know how you feel, is Dennis Schroeder. Because I thought in games two and three, I thought he was phenomenal. I thought he really set the pace when LeBron wasn't on the court. He was that secondary playmaker the Lakers needed, and he provided the scoring power. And I think he's been really good defensively this year as well, especially on guards. Um, game four, I still thought he was good defensively, but offensively he was obviously lacking. Um, how do you feel about Dennis Schroeder in this game? Because I, I, I honestly believe that I think he can, I think he can impact the game in a positive light next to LeBron James in the sense that they can last the game without Anthony Davis in Phoenix. Yeah, no, he, he's he he is another one of those guys. He's uh, he's very good when he looks good. He looks great, and the yes. Lakers often often win those games. But then there are other times, and he, and he again, he also sort of sleeps walk sleepwalks through games uh, to some degree. You know, he's a good shooter. Um, he sometimes gets in his own way a little bit. I think he gets a little bit caught up in that. Uh, you know, we've seen him kind of get into it with other players, whether it's Kyrie Irving, go back a couple of years, Isaiah Thomas, and he got into it. He gets into that stuff. But what I really like about him, he's got a really quick first step, um, and he can beat his opponents so many times. He's got that Steve Nash, Tony Parker-like layup uh, ability where all of a sudden he's past you and then the ball's up at the hoop. I think that's what he should focus on a little bit more in in terms of getting his uh, scoring going. Uh, rather than shooting. I mean, he's, his numbers, are, you know, in terms of shooting three, he's about 38%. Not bad, but I just think he's more effective uh, because he's got a really deceptive um, speed to him. And I still think 
And I still get surprised when I watch it that the defenders get beaten by that because yes. it's kind of like I've been seeing this. But, uh, he played here in Atlanta, and I, I saw wow. it a lot of times. I thought he's really quick, this guy. OKC last season, I thought he did the same thing. And now I see it uh, in LA, especially when he, get, when he gets a mismatch. He can just take those defenders inside and score uh, before the defense has a, a chance to react or to you know close out on him. So I would like to see a little bit more of that. Yeah, he's, a, he's just a little bit, you're sort of not quite sure what you're going to get from him each night. Um, yes. At his best, very good. But there are nights where you're just sort of like, ooh, I don't know. I, I don't know why he's just not there tonight. He's not there. You know, he's 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 not quite feast or famine. He's not that extreme. No. But it's his consistency is certainly what he needs to work on. And uh, I think he's a free agent after this season. He is, um, yes. I'm really interested to see sort of what sort of contract and role he gets because uh, he was, again, very good in OKC last year playing alongside and behind Chris Paul. I, th I think he really learned a whole lot from him there. Don't know if he's a starting point guard in the NBA, though. It really depends, again, on the team. But I think his role, uh, a little bit like Jordan Clarkson, is probably better suited to, to being a six-man and coming off the bench because I think that's when he can impact the game better. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm fascinated to see who throws money at him and, and how much they give him because he's still fairly young. I think he's probably he's 27. 20. Yeah. So he, he's young enough that um, he's probably expecting a, a big contract. But, again, for a six-man, you're probably not going to be uh, – you're not going to get as much as you would for a starter. Is he a starter? Well, it, it, it depends. I mean – you know, do the Knicks do the Knicks think he's better? He's an upgrade over what they've got there, and you know, Alfred Payton and Frank Nilakina. Yes, but yes, how much is he worth? How you know, you're going to give him twenty million a year? I mean, I don't it, know if he's worth it. It's different for a team like the Lakers when you're already over the cup, regardless, because of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Yeah, you you can afford to give guys like that up to twenty million a year, right? Just to keep them. And I think Pat Riley is the best at keeping assets around, you know, long term, and then using them as trade chips. Um, that that's where I think it will go with Schroeder personally. I think the Lakers will give him the money, and uh, because they already like, according to Brian Hin Winhorst and Adrian Wojnarowski, they did offer him four years, eighty-four million, which was the maximum they could offer him, and he turned it down. Now I wouldn't be turning that down if I was Dennis Schroeder. But at the same time, if he has a really good playoffs and that could, you know, bump up his value even more, because obviously playing next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, we've already seen like the guy likes in Timofey Moskov get four over 64, you know, shout out to Mitch Kopchak for that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think his role would be a lot better off the bench, but I, I think he's still a decent starting point guard in the NBA, but it just depends on what team he is because on the Lakers, he's, he's a good starting point guard. It's, it works. Right. On a team like the Knicks that needs like a talent upgrade, yeah. Uh, but but you need it to be a big jump because essentially you don't want to be like in that purgatory that Orlando was in for like seven eight years. Yeah, um, you need a better player than Dennis Schroeder, which is no disrespect to him because yeah. I think he's a really good player. And, and I saw that here in Atlanta because Jeff Teague was the starting point guard when Schroeder was here, and then they basically moved on from Teague and gave Schroeder the keys to the offense. And it showed that he wasn't quite up to that level. You know, mm -hmm. he, he was really good as a backup to Jeff Teague. Um, you know, Jeff Teague was an all-star. He had one yes. really good season. He was a good, consistent player. But then it was like, let's go with Schroeder. They gave him a good contract. And uh, and it was kind of like, yeah, he's not quite that level. So, uh, But now he's a bit older, a bit more, you know, kind of mature. He still has a few of those little uh, yes, boneheaded moments, I think, that, that are quite frustrating. But... 
I, I just feel that, uh, yeah, you're right. Like when you're playing along Le- alongside LeBron James, anyone can kind of slot in because it's like you 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 understand the hierarchy and the rule and the, and your your role there. But if you go to the Knicks, it's like, well, hang on, is he? Are we expecting him to be like an all star level point guard, or are we expecting him to be a role player? Um, because that's just a huge a, a huge change when you're going from the talent that you have in Los Angeles to the uh, less talent that you have uh, for a team like the Knicks. No, I, I agree with you there. And as as and as good as Julius Randle has been this year, because he's been absolutely phenomenal in the regular season anyway, um, it's it's a different level because he automatically, in my opinion, goes in there and he's the second best player on that team. And with, with, with Dennis Schroeder being your second best player, it, it limits your ceiling a lot, in my opinion. And again, no disrespect to Dennis, because I, I like him a lot as a player, but it, I think it's just the truth, right, at this point. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, that's the thing. Like, you you, um, you have so many factors that come into play any time again. There's a LeBron James on your team. Because I don't know if you remember Booby Gibson in uh, in uh, Cleveland. Yes. He got the big five-year contract because he played alongside LeBron James. Then LeBron left and uh, and Booby wasn't, he didn't stick around in the league too much longer after that. So there's always going to be opportunity. There's always going to be a role for those guys. You just have to sort of embrace it and accept it. Uh, again, when you're on that sort of a team that, it's LeBron's team first, it's Anthony Davis's team second, and then everyone else kind of has to fight over the scraps. And those who are really prepared to sacrifice their own uh, personal goals uh, as such will get a chance to play. I mean, we saw, I think, James Jones went to uh, six straight finals with yes. LeBron James, you know. So, um, and, and you know, like no one remembers a James Jones highlight, but the fact is he was prepared to sort of be there uh, for LeBron because he could shoot threes occasionally. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, he got a great ride out of it, but a lot of players, you know, and, and Kyrie Irving's really the interesting one here because a lot of players want to play with LeBron because, you know, the chances of getting to the finals are incredibly high, but then someone like Kyrie Irving was like, but I feel that I'm the franchise guy. I want to be the LeBron of my own team. And he's moved on, of course, uh, to the Celtics and now the Nets. And that's just how it is. I think when you get up mm-hmm. to that higher level, when you've got guys who believe themselves to be the best player. They don't necessarily want to share the spotlight with a Le- with a LeBron, and uh, some of the other guys are happy to do that because they know they're not quite going to reach that uh, that same level. No, definitely, and that's why you can see why guys like Wesley Matthews have performed still, right? Because, like you said, his role's defined whether he starts or whether he comes off the bench. It's play defense, hit wide open threes, and just you know do that for twenty to twenty five minutes a game, regardless, yeah. right? That's why I think he's been better. Um, I think I also think Andre Drummond's a big X factor in this game as well because I thought you know he's become which is insane to me. I like I, I, I thought I thought he was overrated always. I won't lie to you, um, but I never thought it was like the worst player in the NBA <laughs> or he's unplayable or you know stupid stuff that you hear like that. Um, and it, apparently, according to some people, he's the worst player to ever exist in NBA <laughs> history, and that baffles me as well because he's obviously not that. Um, in games two and three, he was really phenomenal. In game two, especially. He, yeah, he, he's just such a big man. Yes. You know, he's a huge athletic player out there who, who you know, he's a Dwight Howard type guy. You just throw him the lobs and he should be able to dunk and he should have a few more moves. But he can pick up 20 rebounds and, uh, you know, in his sleep if he yes. really, really wants to. But there are times, and I think uh, I think it was game one as well, where he wasn't very good against no. the Suns. And and this is the, the rare thing in the NBA these days. It's not often you have a team that has, you know, even one big man sometimes. And the Lakers have got three with Davis, 
Drummond and Marcus Ole. And Frank Vogel will run two of those guys out there at times. And, and there are, you know, you look at uh, uh, Andre Drummond and you think, man, this guy could just dominate and impact the game at both ends. But he doesn't. He's not quite as, you know, powerful as you would yeah. perhaps like him to be. But then I think you're right. I think he's in games two and three. He was just much better. He was much more assertive. Uh, and he really figured out uh, a better way to play. So, um, you know, he – but he's also now – he's gone from playing in Detroit and Cleveland two cities that don't get a lot of national exposure to playing for the Lakers. And yes. so the fans, especially online, you know, I mean, you 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 have to open yourself up and be prepared uh, to really understand that uh, what's happening is, is that you get so much more criticism and yeah. so much more uh, people just looking to try to pick your game apart. And, you know, uh, some people can't handle that. They don't like it. We know Dwight didn't like his time in L.A. at all, uh, the first time around anyway. Um, and that's where sort of Andre Drummond, if he puts in another bad performance or, you know, messes up, he's going to see it and read about it and hear about it online. And um, Lakers fans and everyone else is going to pile on I mean, Also because of the way he went to the Lakers, you know. They got they had to give up nothing. He, he was released by the Cavs. Yes. He goes and joins the Lakers. You know, Davis goes down. Marcus Gasol's, you know, sort of older and slower. So the opportunity is just perfect for Andre Drummond to, you know, as a free agent himself this season, to show that he can be worth a, a big contract. And, you know, there are games where he looks great and uh, and there are other games it's just like, how does this guy not dominate? How does he not impact the game more? You know, that, That's the biggest so big. thing for me as well. Yeah, like, I, I completely agree with you. There are certain games where I watch him and I'm like, how, are you, how have you only got like four points and five rebounds in like 24 minutes? It makes no sense. But then he has games like he did in game two where he's flirting with a 2020 game at times, you know, and it's like, this is why people buy into Andre Drummond and I think yeah. he's and I think he's really good by the way I, I think he's absolutely a starting center in the NBA um I think you'll you know I think he's probably one of the best rebounders I've ever seen in my life because he, he's ridiculous he's just so relentless on both the offensive and defensive side of things um but I, I don't know about you and we'll move on to the Mavs Clippers soon and, and just want to finish up on Drummond. I think he'd be best served having another year in LA next to LeBron and AD to build his value up. I think a full off season with those guys and Frank Vogel seeing what he did for Roy Hibbert as well, I think would maximize his value even more so on that end. Yeah, I mean, I think any time, uh, you know, you have more time to play with guys and, and, and have a full uh, off-season to prepare and plan and understand, again, what your role is and know who your teammates are going to be because all those things change. They, you know, there will always be uh, a few different personnel changes, maybe even a coach change. I, I, not, not that I'm suggesting that uh, Vogel won't be uh, back, but, you know, that's what it takes sometimes is just to understand exactly – what is expected of you, how to go through some of those, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, routines for what they, what the team wants you to have, the team wants you to play and perform. And uh, he would be much better off. But, you know, I think I expect he'd be getting more than just a one-year deal. And I think he'd be expecting a, you know, sort of four or five-year deal for, mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the, you know, 70, 80, $100 million range, with the, which the Lakers, I don't think. No, we would, can't uh, because. No, I mean, they can't, they can't anyway. And I just don't think they would, they would sort of furnish him with that given that they have Davis there already. Yes. But if Andre Drummond is prepared to sacrifice money for a, an opportunity to win, then maybe he takes less. Maybe he takes a one-year deal, you know, because the crazy thing is when the Pistons traded him to the Cavs, there was no market for him. I think they ended up with a second-round pick. And when the Cavs uh, tried to also trade him this year, like no one was prepared Zero. to give up anything significant for him. So 
you know, that's different when teams know as well as a free agent. They're like, listen, it's Andre Drum. We're not giving up, you know, first or a second round pick or, or even two firsts or anything like that. So maybe teams, and again, a team like the Knicks. Now, they've got uh, Nerlens Noel and Taj Gibson. Uh, Mitchell Robinson's out right now. I think he's a big Which part is a of shame. Yeah, I think he'll be good for them. But let's just say, hypothetically, you know, that would be a, a, a good situation for him where a team needs a big presence on both ends of the floor. Um, so maybe there's something there, but, uh, I, I don't know what he's going to do. I mean, I'm, I, I sort of, um, if they win the championship this year, then he might think, you know what, I've got my championship now. I want to get, just get more money. So I'll play with, you know, anywhere, whoever, whoever offers me the most, but if he doesn't, if they get close and the Lakers say, listen, come back on a two year, I don't, I don't, again, I'm not sure exactly what their cap situation is, but you know, two years and 40 million, maybe they can, uh, figure out something there to make it work. I'm not sure, but, uh. You know he's uh he's a he's a good player, but also you sort of feel that he could have been uh, or he could be a much more impactful player. Yeah, like a team that I have um, sort of like highlighted for Andre Drummond is a team like the Charlotte Hornets, right? Where I think they have such an obvious need at the center spot, and Lamelo's fantastic. I love Lamelo so much watching him play. I think he's going to be really, really good in the future. And then you have a bunch of really good, interesting young guys around him. Gordon Hayward was fantastic this year as well. Yep. But I think they have an obvious need at that center spot. Um, as much as, you know, as good players as Cody Zeller and Bismack Biambo are, <laughs> I don't think they're quite good enough to push you over the edge. Whereas Drummond on a team like that with a very defined role, again, we're going back to that defined role. Yeah. With a defined role next to Lamelo and Hayward, who I think are very good playmakers, I think would be really good for him as well. Yeah, I mean, Biombo and Zeller, uh, you know, they shouldn't be starting centers no. on a team that's got championship aspirations. You know, you need a you need a big guy. I, I, I wonder if Drummond is athletic enough to sort of p p uh, pair alongside Lamelo because if he can be that guy where he can just set screens and roll to the rim, great. But I, I sort of feel that he's a bit more. He just wants to post up, and he and he's not quite like young Dwight Howard, who you could just throw lob yeah. after lob after lob to. So. I think that's really where uh, what the what the um, Hornets will be looking for someone a bit more athletic. But again, it's everyone wants like a great athletic, you know, shooting big man. If you can uh -huh. do everything, they're just not that available. And the Hornets is just not uh, a free agent destination. So it's it's kind of like you have to uh, make do with whatever's available. And he certainly would be an upgrade over the two that they've got right now. So uh, I, I do like the fit primarily, um, even though it's not the perfect fit. I think uh, there's something that. I think the Hornets would be interested in uh, bringing him in anyway. Yeah, definitely. And I just want to transition over to a series that you mentioned at the start, which I also think is alongside the Lakers-Phoenix series. Just this game five, I think, is totally intriguing for me tonight. It's not to it's not tonight. It's tomorrow, isn't it? Uh, let me just check. Which one? The, the, the Clippers-Mavs. That is tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, night yes. tomorrow night. Yeah, I got confused between yeah. Portland and the Clipper game. Denver, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Clippers, like, after two games, I was absolutely enthralled. And being from the ex-Yugoslavia, I've always I've been enthralled by Luka Doncic since he was 15 years old. Yeah. Um, he's absolutely phenomenal. I think he's, like, even if his career ended now, he'd be the second best player ever from the ex-Yugoslavia. That's how good I think Luka Doncic is. Um, and I'm obviously, games three and four happened, and I thought Luka was phenomenal in game three. Um, obviously, he got the, the neck injury. Yeah. Porzingis wasn't great. And then Kawhi Leonard is Kawhi Leonard, especially on the offensive end. Kawhi Leonard is still absolutely 
phenomenal, right? His technical yeah. ability, his I, I I'm such a fan of Kawhi Leonard as a player. Um, I, I think he's so so good. Um this 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 series could go either way. And like you said, I expect the Clippers to win now after taking two games in Dallas. But it wouldn't surprise me to see <laughs> Luca pull it out again, especially with a couple of days rest as well. Um pull it out in LA again because this series has just been so crazy to me. Yeah, well, I mean, if they do, like that would just be a, a complete disaster for the yes. uh, for the Clippers. I mean, uh, as I said, I, I picked the uh, Clippers to win this series because you just you look at the talent that they have, and Kawhi and Paul George are all NBA, you know, players. So you just wonder sometimes when why don't these guys get it together? Paul George looked just again just looked shook in the first two games. Just didn't wasn't playing well. Even Kawhi wasn't playing well. And Doncic sort of, you know, he sort of ambles about the court and it's like, how does this guy dominate? He's not super athletic. He's not super quick. He's not even a great no. shooter of the ball. I mean, the numbers sort of are a little bit deceiving there because it feels like he hits these massive three-pointers every game, and he does, but he's only shooting like 35% or something from downtown. And he's, he's barely shooting 40% from the free-throw line. Um, but he just sort of controls the tempo and the pace, a bit like Jokic there where you, Luca just moves around at his own speed and no one is able to really uh, speed him up, and that's what I think has been a problem there for the Clippers. But now that he picked up that injury in that uh, huge game three by him, which they lost, and they were up 19 points in the yes. first quarter, it looked like a bloodbath was in order. Now things have switched. The momentum has changed. And I, I think, again, if you are, if you are the uh, Clippers, you're like, we cannot possibly... Um, give up now home court advantage that we've stolen it back after losing it in the first two games. So you you, you just think surely they're going to be able to um, – they've figured out the Mavericks here a little bit because the Mavericks don't have a lot of real no. dangerous weapons. they just got players who, if they get hot, all of a sudden it looks like they are much better, you know, with Finney Smith and Kleber and Tim Hardaway. But, um, you know, it, it's all Doncic. If Doncic – really takes over that game he can sort of win he can still win the series for the mavericks but i just sort of don't i i as much as i would love the mavericks to do that i sort of feel awful for the clippers if he, if they were to go out in the first round after what we saw happen down in the bubble last year i wouldn't personally i'd love it <laughs> but you know i i get where you're coming from with that um, i always thought this series was but the secondary players on both teams, I thought they would be the most important because I fully expected Kawhi Leonard to be phenomenal. I fully expected Luca to be phenomenal. I had no idea what I was getting from Paul George and Kristaps Porzingis. And I don't think Kristaps Porzingis was particularly good in games one and two either. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what's happened with Kristaps to the point where the idea of Kristaps Porzingis as a player is much more enticing than what I actually see on the floor nowadays, which is a real shame considering how much of a breath of fresh air he was in New York his first couple of years. Um, and the potential fit that he was alongside Luca as well. And to see him not be that anymore is very sad for me as a basketball fan because Kristaps was truly one of those guys who I always loved watching because he was so entertaining. Yeah, he, he was. And I mean, you know, he obviously had the, the ACL there yes. in uh, in New York and then basically just said, I'm done with the Knicks and left. And, you know, you could see why the Mavericks gave up, I think, a first round pick and Dennis Smith basically to get hold of him. And it's like, wow, this this is a huge um, coup here for the Mavs. But the big problem with Porzingis is his long-term durability. Can he stay on the court? And, and, and you know, how, how many games can he realistically play a season getting back when we get back to 82 games? Is he going to play... 60 is he going to play 55 mm -hmm. um 
because he just seems to miss so many games. And again, when you're seven feet four, I think you just have other concerns that a lot of yes. players don't have to deal with. So that that's going to be the biggest uh, area of concern for him. But if he can get it together and if he can stay healthy, uh, then sure. I mean, the, you know, he, he's a huge weapon alongside the uh, alongside Doncic because when Porzingis gets into the paint and he turns around and rises up and shoots, no one can defend it. No. You know, no, but he, he can get that shot over anybody. It's just you almost a, a little bit like Andre Drummond. You want to see him be super yes. aggressive and take it to his opponents. Um, and he and he hasn't he, and he he does it at times. He has those games where he he, he you know puts in a, a you know has a great performance and scores thirty five points and hits those deep threes. And then the other games, you're just like, man, how can this? You know, the Mavericks must be looking. And and there was rumors this season. Mark Cuban shot them down. That's yes. no surprise, but. There's rumors that the Mavericks are like, well, let's 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 move on. And we need someone better here. We need someone more reliable, more consistent uh, to build there with Doncic because, you know, every team needs that sort of Scotty Pippen alongside Michael Jordan. Um, and the Mavericks have given the big contract there to, to Porzingis. But if he can't perform and if he can't stay on the court, you can understand why they would like to move on from him. Yeah, and I know Julius Randle's got a team option, so and I'm under no illusions that the Knicks will just accept it and you know be be done with that because of how good he was. Um, I still, I think Randall as a number two option is so much better than he is as a number one option. Even though I'm a huge Julius fan, I think Julius is phenomenal. Watching him with the Lakers first, and then you know seeing him grow up and then be at the Pelicans and then finally blossom in the Knicks is really phenomenal. Um, but I think as a number two option next for a guy like Doncic, I think he'd blossom even more. And then he's also a really good secondary playmaker alongside Doncic that if, let's say, a double team does come, he can always find an open guy like a Tim Hardaway, who I don't think is much more than a very, very good role player, even though some Dallas people said, you know, he's been absolutely phenomenal this year. I think when it comes down to crunch time, I don't trust Tim Hardaway Jr. as much as great as he has been this season to be that second guy next to Doncic. Yeah, I mean, Julius Randle is certainly, uh, you know, he's turned his career uh, around there with the, with the Knicks yes. because obviously the Lakers had him as a high pick. He went to the Pelicans um, and the Pelicans basically just let him go and he has turned around. I think I think you're right. I think he uh, can be that playmaker and he can be a facilitator uh, and I don't think he's the number one option. I think no. he is much better as a number two. Um, and and whether or not, I mean, wow! Imagine uh, imagine Porzingis gets traded back to New York for. Uh, <laughs> it will never happen. I mean, no, ever. that won't happen. <laughs> that won't happen. But again, if you can see, uh, if you can, if the guy can stay on the court, and if he can perform to the way that Randall has performed this year, because yes, I think you're right that he has a team option for next season. Yes. Um, and obviously, you think the Knicks are going to pick that up, but if he if they don't, it'd be fascinating to see what Julius Randall will get because he had a great season. You know, averaged close to a triple-double too. I think he averaged about six and a half assists a game, yeah, but hasn't been a great playoffs for him. Uh, he's still got time to sort of rescue it if he can, but he really needs to uh, make sure that the Knicks don't get lose in five games here to the Atlanta Hawks because that would be uh, pretty disastrous for uh, Julius Randle considering the season that he's had. I, I agree with you. And on, on the Doncic thing, like two things have transpired for me in this series on Dallas before we ju just touched on the Clippers. Um, two things have transpired for me for Dallas. I think Luka Doncic is absolutely going to be a superstar if he isn't already there in the NBA right, right now, which is insane at 22 years old. And I think Dallas need a better second option next to Luka if they ever want to have legitimate championship aspirations. 
Yeah, they do, for sure. I mean, and again, I think you're seeing Tim Hardaway, who's a free agent this season. He's yes. kind of played himself into getting uh, a nice pay, a nice, nice paycheck this summer. I think there'll be a few teams interested in him because he's shown to be a little more consistent. I mean, he's mm-hmm. still a little bit hot, hot and cold. But, yeah, the Mavericks, um, they don't want to get to the situation where Doncic is four seasons in and he's entering. He can obviously sign the big uh, the contract rookie extension this summer. And obviously the Mavs are going to throw the maximum at him immediately. They won't hesitate for a second. And if you're Doncic, I guess you sign that, but you also start to look at the franchise a little bit and say, listen, if we have three seasons in and he hasn't won a playoff series and he's been fantastic, where's the help coming? When's the help coming? What what sort of help is coming? Because, um, you know, he, he, he's been great, but he's going to get frustrated with the franchise if they are unable to sort of surround him with, uh, you know, a good supporting cast that, you know, he doesn't have to do it all. Because at times this season, the Mavericks, I've thought, you know, they could really sort of squeeze in here and become a championship contender. And other times I'm like, they might not even make the playoffs. Yeah. You know, that that's how bad they've looked at times. But, um, you know, as we've seen in the first two games anyway, when you have a quality of, of Doncic out there, he can win a, fan, uh, a playoff series by himself. Now, one series versus going all the way is a completely different story. But I, I still, I mean, I, as I said, I, I think the Clippers win the series from here, but I don't think it's a, it's just a, it's a wrap. I think the Mavericks have still got plenty in them and Doncic can orchestrate something special. He's one of those guys. He's, yes. he's like a Kevin Durant, a Steph Curry, you know, a LeBron. He can, he can pull out the uh, unexpected because he's just that good. And, you know, as a, as a European fan of basketball, seeing him, and the likes of Jokic, you know, perform at the highest level. It, it warms my heart in the sense that, you know, we've had guys in the past who have been really, really good, um, but either, ever, either didn't go to the NBA because of political reasons, right. or came very late, or were in um, very marginalised roles, like Petrovic was in Portland, yeah. even though objectively his talent was good enough to be the second option on that team next to Clyde Drexler, right? Um, so it's very nice to see these European players blossoming and starting to get the respect that they deserve for their basketball ability. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you, you look through the history and you've got obviously the, you know, the Dirks, the Tony Parkers, the Gasol yes. brothers, you know, uh, Amano Ginobili, I know is Argentinian, but he spent obviously a lot so of his career. So much time in Europe. Yeah. yeah, in Europe. So he sort of counts as a European. And the reputation is, you know, the good is those guys. And then you've got guys like Darko and you've got guys like Andrea Bagnani who just didn't quite live up to their mm-hmm. number one and number two draft pick status. So there's always going to be that. But then you only have to look through the NBA history as well and see other guys who have been the number one or the number two pick and yes. also not lived up to their own reputation. So it's not. I, I think we're getting a little bit further away from, oh, the Europeans we're not quite sure about, to now it's like, listen, if the guy's good, the guy's good. And, and it's not whether or not he's European. It's just whether or not he yes. adjusts to the NBA and the league and the lifestyle. And Doncic, I mean, I remember being sceptical. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if this guy, you know, because mm-hmm. I think the main thing for me when I looked at him, I thought, he just doesn't seem super athletic to me. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, he's just got a great feel for the game and, and he really understands how to play and how to pace the game. And I think that's uh, that's what makes it the best. Yeah, and just to wrap up on, you know, this show, I really want to thank you for coming on. It's been a great joy for me to have you talk, to have talk, to talk basketball with you. Um, just one last thing. Yep. I always hit people with this cold court um, because it gets the best response. 
Um, ever since Kobe Bryant passed away, whenever I've had a new guest onto the show, I always ask them their favorite Kobe Bryant moment of all time, just because I, I love Kobe Bryant to death. Um, what's your favorite Kobe Bryant moment? It can be on, on court, off court, what, what have you, you know? Well, I'll stay on court, uh, and there's two for me. And uh, the first one was game four of the 2000 finals against the Indiana Pacers where Shaq fouls out. It's a 2-1 series to the uh, to the Lakers. And in overtime, Kobe scores, I think, seven points. Uh, I think it is, or, or six points or seven points. I can't remember actually now. Um, but it's that game that basically then steers the Lakers home from there. And Kobe hits the jumper over Reggie Miller. He has then this gorgeous little like tip in um, put back and he, and he runs off to the bench and he's got that like, ooh, like, you know, it's not, not over yet. Because that, to me, uh, I, I knew a lot about Kobe. I'd heard about him. But that was the first time I really saw him on the biggest stage in the finals. And he delivered and he lived up to it. He's only 21. And I was like, okay, okay, this guy is legit. You know, like that's a tough road victory against the Pacers who well coached by Larry Bird. Reggie Miller's out there. You know, Jalen Rose is on that team. They were a good, tough team, Indiana. And Kobe just took over in crunch time. And uh, I just, I was just so impressed by him. And then the other one was in Toronto. He had a game against the Raptors and he had 46 points. And he just put on a show, and the Ra- and the Lakers won. It was a good game, it was a good battle. Was, I can't remember the final score, but I just remember thinking like Kobe had that Michael Jordan sort of ability. And he said after the game, he said, "I only come to Toronto once a year. I want to put on a show," and he just did. And everyone just like, again, the the crowd is is primarily primarily Raptors fans, but everyone just enjoyed seeing Kobe as, as an artist, as an entertainer, as a as a performer. You know, it, it's like going on Broadway to see a show. It's like you want to see these people perform and act, and, and he did that, and he was creative and he was artistic. And, uh, and, and again, because I wasn't a huge Kobe fan forever. You know, I, I, um, I was skeptical at the start. I liked him, and I thought, you know, he's a good player. He's not a superstar yet. But then he sort of convinced me by the way he played and the way he succeeded and the way he worked hard. Uh, and I really, really admired and respected that about him. So, I was fortunate to see him play a few times, um, and and I just yeah, I remember that game in Toronto. It was a cold February. It was like minus twelve degrees outside, but inside the building, uh, the showman put on a show, and everyone appreciated it, and everyone loved it. And uh, I, I just remember him dunking and hitting threes, and you know, getting into it with the crowd, and and you know, that again, that's what a showman is: is, is someone yes. who performs and someone who brings that level of entertainment. And this is a guy who's probably. You know, at that point, he was probably close to, uh, you know, his 12th or 13th season. So he's, you know, his body's starting to pick up a few knocks here and there. And again, it's a February game. It's not like a June finals game or the first night of the season. It's like deep into the season, a cold winter's night. But he uh, he performed and, uh, and I really appreciated it and admired that about him. And those are two great ones. And the, the beauty of this is everyone has a different one. So you always hear a different side, and that's why I love it. I think it's great. Lee, I really want to thank you so much for coming on. Like I said, this has been such a blast for me. Where can the people find all your great work? Well, yeah, just at the No Dunks uh, channel on YouTube or uh, Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. That's where we are. And then I'm just Lee Ellis on uh, on Twitter and Instagram as well. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where we do all our, our stuff. We talk basketball and have some fun and uh, enjoy it. Yeah. Thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciated this. 
please everyone still stay safe, wear a mask and whatnot. Take care. See you later.